Okay, I want you to imagine that you dropped by my house this week, and uh, Sue and I, Sue and I are, are about to watch our favorite TV program, NCIS. It's actually like the only TV program we watch, all right? So we say, why don't you join us? Watch the show. And you say, well, yeah, I've never really seen NCIS. I don't know what's going on. And I say, well, I'll bring you up to speed. And so if you're going to enjoy, if you're going to be able to follow the show and understand it, you're going to know some of the, need to know some of the central characters and the basic storyline where we're at in the story right now. And so I introduce you to Leroy Jethro Gibbs, you know, the, uh, the team leader for NCIS, a former Marine sniper, gone through several marriages, tough exterior but tender heart. I introduce you to Super Agent Tony Dinozo, who comes across as an arrogant womanizer, but the fact of the matter is he's somewhat insecure and he really has a good heart with regard to the women on his team, kind of protects them like a big brother. And then there's Abby, this brilliant forensic scientist. She doesn't look the part. She dresses goth and listens to heavy metal music, but don't miss the fact she's brilliant. And then one character after another, a characters who've become like family members to Sue and me. We talk about them as if they're real people. What would Gibbs do in our situation? It's kind of scary. You know, but now that I got you up to speed with the characters, I'll tell you a little bit about the storyline, and then we're ready to go. We're ready to follow NCIS. See, it's much like that with the Bible. If uh, you're a relatively new reader of the Bible, the fact of the matter is you, you, you could open it at random, pick a, a passage, read it, and get something out of it for your life. But you will get much, much, much more benefit from God's holy word if you know something about the major characters, if you know something about the basic storyline. So that's what we're going to cover today. We're going to cover the entire storyline of the Bible from beginning to end, from the front cover of your Bible to the back cover, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. Tighten your seatbelt, all right? And turn with me, if you brought a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Get the outline from your program. If you fill it out as we go along, when we're all done, you're going to have a pretty good picture of the Bible's storyline. Now, we're actually in the third week of a four-part series called A Heart as Big as the World. And the theme of this story is that God loves the world. God loves the whole world. And he wants you, he wants me to love the world. He wants us to love the whole world. Not just our little personal world of immediate family and friends. God wants us to love people in faraway places like Brazil and Bangladesh and Sierra Leone and Czech Republic. A heart as big as the world. It's not only the theme of the series, it is the theme of the Bible's storyline. The Bible is a global story. A couple of weeks ago when we opened this series, we talked about the global crisis that our world faces. And I said to you, this global crisis is a far more serious threat than ISIS. It's worse than, than, than the possibility of economic collapse. It's worse than desperate food shortages around the world or tsunamis that occasionally hit. Remember what the global crisis is? You know, it's the fact that every one of us, every person on the planet has disconnected from God. We've chosen to go our own way instead of God's way. We make this decision multiple times in the course of every day by the things we think and say and do. God says this and we go there. 
And when we do that, we disconnect from the source of life. The Bible calls it sin. When you disconnect from the source of life, you die. Those are the consequences. And so we die spiritually. One day we'll all die physically. And if we don't find a solution to this problem of death in this world, we will pass into eternity and die eternally. What the Bible calls hell. Global crisis going on right now all around the world. Now, fortunately, God has provided a solution to the global crisis. God has given us a global Savior. His name is Jesus, God's Son. Jesus was sent to earth to take the penalty that our sins deserve, which is death. His infinite life paid on the cross for our sins so that everyone who surrenders to him can discover forgiveness and eternal life, life that begins today, the moment you put your trust in Christ. So the global crisis, God has produced a global Savior, offers a global Savior to us. But here's the challenge, friends. How are people going to hear about this global Savior? How are they going to understand the message that they need to surrender their lives in order to receive this gift of forgiveness and life? The, the Apostle Paul puts the challenge this way in Romans 10, verse 14. He says, well, how then can people call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone telling them? So people need to hear the good news about Jesus before they can embrace him as their Savior. And that goes for people who live in St. Charles or in Bartlett or Blackberry Creek or DeKalb where we have church campuses. It goes for people as well who live in India or China or Germany or Brazil. And that brings us back to the major storyline of the Bible. It brings us to today's topic. The Bible is all about God's mission. The Bible is all about God's mission, the mission of providing people around the world with a global Savior, Jesus, who can rescue them from the global crisis of sin and death and hell. And here's, here's the really cool part about the global mission. God invites all who surrender to his son, Jesus, to join him on this mission. And God says, I want you to partner with me. I want you to have the privilege of telling people around the world this message that will set them free and give them eternal life. And the, the advantage is not only for those we tell, the, the advantage is for our own lives because you only find true significance, true meaning and purpose. You only, only really have a great reason to get up in the morning when you're on mission with God. Far too many professing Christians, they're looking for purpose in some other way. They're looking for it in their jobs, in their kids' activities, in, in, in their favorite sports team, in their recreational activities. These are all good things. But God says, you want meaning, you want purpose, you want excitement, then join me on this global mission. So today we're going to trace that global mission throughout the pages of the Bible. This is, this is the Bible's storyline. And by the way, if you want a fuller version of what I say today, it's in my book, Epic. Okay, I cover it in detail. Some of you don't have a copy of Epic, so I brought a few extra copies. Anybody need one? You need one? Good. That's yours. There you go. Right there. I want you to have that. Yeah, you. Right there. Good catch. All right. You could get a position on the bearers here. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, 
The rest of you got to buy your own copy. So let's look at six stages of this global mission, the Bible storyline. Okay, we're going to start in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, talking about the Abrahamic covenant. So fill that in in your outline. The year is around 2000 B.C. God is about to launch his global mission, and he chooses a guy named Abraham to kick it off. Now, now Abraham, you need, need to understand, at this point in time, he is not a believer in the one true living God. In fact, his name isn't even Abraham, it's Abram. And I'll tell you more about the name change in just, just a few moments here. God asks Abraham, who doesn't know him yet, to leave everything and follow him. And Abraham surrenders his life to God. God makes a covenant with Abraham. A covenant is a relational, binding commitment. And this covenant comes with a promise. I want to read the promise to you. You'll find it in Genesis 12. I'm going to read the opening three verses to you. And by the way, these three verses are some of the most important verses in the entire Bible. So let me read it to you. And if you got your own Bible, circle the word bless or blessed or blessing. You'll get the idea as we go, as often as it pops up, okay? The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will, here's the promise, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God says, I'm going to enter into this covenantal relationship with you, and as a result of me blessing you in this way, you're going to be a blessing to all peoples on earth. Now, how is that going to happen? It happens in two ways. It happens, first of all, because as Abraham and his descendants enter into this special relationship with God, they become a signpost to other people. They point the way to the true God. They become exhibit A. They become walking, talking advertisements. For, you know, you want the blessing of a relationship with Almighty God. This is how you get it. You following me? That's the first way in which Abraham and company become a blessing to everybody else. But the second way is that 2,000 years after God makes this promise to Abraham, Abraham's family line produces a descendant by the name of... You thought it was a trick question. Jesus. Jesus comes from Abraham's family line. Jesus, the global Savior. The, the one whom God sends to the world so that we could be forgiven and enjoy eternal life comes through Abraham's line. Abraham becomes a blessing to the world in this way. So God blesses Abraham with this special relationship. The Abrahamic covenant and thus Abraham becomes a blessing to others. This is how God launches his global mission. This is why God changes his name, by the way, from Abram to Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations. So Abraham becomes a spiritual dad to everyone who begins a relationship with God who eventually will surrender their lives to Christ, the global Savior. Now, friends, there's a, there, there's a principle here if we're followers of, of Jesus, we don't want to miss. Why do you think God blesses us? Let me throw it out to you. Call it out. Why do you think God blesses us? Ah, yeah, you get it. 
God blesses us so that we could be a blessing to others. Now that means if you've surrendered your life to Christ and you've experienced forgiveness, you've seen the first signs of eternal life in your life, the Spirit of God has come to live on the inside, then you want to share that with other people. You've been blessed not to keep it to yourself. You've been blessed to be a blessing. This is true in every area of our lives, not just with respect to eternal salvation. Has God given you a wonderful family? Some of you say, yeah. Why do you think God gave you a wonderful family? Just so you can enjoy candlelit dinners with your spouse or soccer games on the sideline as you watch your kids play? Just so you could take really cool family vacations together? Is that why God blessed you with a wonderful family? See, or did God bless you with that family so you could be a blessing to others? Maybe by including single people in your circle, your family circle. Maybe by taking a foster child into your home. Maybe, maybe by offering your house to be one of those house group meeting places for our high school ministry where dozens of high school students, some who don't come from wonderful families, will experience something completely different in your home. See, God blesses you with a wonderful family. Let me tell you something. It's not so that the blessing stops with you. I am blessed so, so that I can bless others. Say that with me. I am blessed so that I can bless others. Say it again. I am blessed so that I can bless others. You know, let me give, it, give you another example of this. How many of you have a decent paying job? Okay, so you've got the steady source of income. Why do you think God has blessed you financially? Is it just so that you could buy a, a new car, travel, own 10 pairs of, of jeans? Yeah, so, so God has blessed you so you can bless yourself? Is that it? Yeah, I, I was reading my alumni magazine that my college sends me every month. And there was a story about a guy who graduated three years ago from my college named Graham Smith. And as I read the story, it's apparent this is a really bright guy. He graduated and he got a job as a private banking analyst. That sounds, sounds like something that takes some brains. Uh, it, it's also apparent from the article that the dude is a Christ follower because in the article he said he's determined to practice what he calls reverse tithing. And I thought, okay, I know what tithing is. The Bible says that every one of us is to return the first 10% of our income right off the top of every paycheck, right back to the Lord's work. It's our way of saying we recognize it all comes from God's hand. He's the owner of it all. We give him that first 10%, that tithe. Well, Graham Smith says instead of tithing 10% and living on the remaining 90%, he's determined to give away 90% and live on 10%. And as a result of this, he has started a not-for-profit restaurant where he employs former prisoners who couldn't get jobs otherwise. And he has supported homeless people and he has supported numerous outreach ministries. Because Graham understands the reason I've been blessed financially is so that I can be a blessing to others. You get it? Good. This, This is where the global mission Begins. If, if you want to be on God's on mission with God, it begins with the, the realization, the reason I'm blessed is so I can be a blessing. This is the Abrahamic covenant. Second stage of the Bible story. I'm calling it the Exodus display. 
the Exodus display. Now, I want you to go with me to Exodus, the second book of your Bible, Exodus chapter 9. Let me summarize very, very briefly the next stage of the Bible's storyline. We're going to move from the time of Abraham, 2000 B.C., to the time of Moses, 1400 B.C., Abraham's descendants have now been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years, but they cry out to God for deliverance. And God sends them a rescuer by the name of Moses. Some of you were here this summer for our Heroes series, and we spent an entire weekend on Moses. So God sends a deliverer. Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he says, God has sent me to bring his his people to freedom. And remember Pharaoh's response? Pharaoh says, like, heck you will. That's the Nicodemus translation of the original Egyptian there. You know, you're, you're not going anywhere. And so God has to change Pharaoh's mind. And remember how God does that? He sends plague after plague after plague after plague. He sends boils and hail and flies, all sorts of crazy things. Now, in the midst of these plagues... You know, the culmination of which is that Pharaoh finally says, okay, get out of here. But in the midst of the plagues, God sends Moses to Pharaoh with a message. And I want to read to you this message that God has for Pharaoh. Because he's going to tell Pharaoh why he's sending plagues. And it's not simply because he wants to deliver his people. There, there, there's an ulterior motive here. And as I read this passage to, to you, I want you to see if you can pick it up. Why does God send these horrific plagues upon Egypt? Okay, pick up the story, verse 13 of Exodus 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. See, God is not just about delivering his people. He's about delivering his people for what purpose? So that the news of their deliverance will travel around the globe so that all people will know there is a mighty God, a deliverer. And that's what Moses says to Pharaoh, the the last part of verse 14, so you may know that there's no one like me in all the earth. And God says it again through Moses, the end of verse 16, that I might show you my power, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Why does God deliver his people? So that his greatness will be communicated, so that people will understand this is a miracle-working God, so that people will surrender their lives to him. Now that's still happening today. That's still God's strategy today. You say, well, I've never been a slave in Egypt. Well, neither have I. But according to scripture, the global crisis, we've all been a slave to what? To sin and death and hell. And when Jesus sets you free, why do you think you've been set free? 
the exodus display so that the greatness of your God, the deliverer, can be proclaimed. And as people tell their stories around the world of deliverance, guess what? The global mission is accomplished. I've got a good friend, and for two decades, she was a slave to alcohol. Okay, and I just watched, because we've known her for two decades, I watched as alcohol robbed her of her family, her home, her job, her health, her self-respect. But, but, but two years ago, she surrendered her life to Jesus, and Jesus delivered her. Jesus set her free. I was hanging out with her this last week. <laughs> She said, i got to show you something. She handed me two license, driver's license. She said, take a look at these. And I looked at the first one, and this driver's license was given to her a couple of years ago when she was still in bondage to alcohol. And I looked at the picture, and she looks like death warmed over. I mean, she looks like she just got mugged. She goes, now, now look, look at the, the new one. So she just got a new one in the mail after two years of sobriety, Because Jesus delivered her, and there's this picture of this dressed-up, attractive woman with a smile on her face. And she goes, no, 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 hold them next to each other. And and, and I'm looking, going back and forth, and she's laughing, and I'm laughing because the transformation is so obvious. The deliverance is so apparent. Now, maybe Jesus didn't set you free from alcohol, but as I said a moment ago, he set you free from sin. You know, from the penalty of your sin, he's currently, if you're a follower of Jesus, still setting you free from the power of that particular sin, whatever your sin of choice is. He's the deliverer. You know, maybe he's setting you free from self-centeredness. Or maybe anger is your besetting sin, or materialism, or fear, self-righteousness, indifference to God. Jesus delivered you from sin and from sin's penalty, death, and God wants your deliverance story and those of others he's delivered told around the world. That's how he accomplishes his global mission of making himself known to spiritually lost people everywhere. Third stage of the story. I call it the temple attraction. And again, we're we're covering... Vast amounts of scripture in one fell swoop here. So turn with me, go forward in your Bible still further to 1 Kings chapter 8. By the way, the service planning team, they cut some other things in the service so that we could have more time to study the the Bible, God's word today. So we're going to get through this. 1 Kings 8. After God used Moses in 1400 B.C. to deliver his people from Egyptian slavery, God led them to the promised land. God led them to the promised land, and they were in the promised land for several hundred years before God gave them a king, a king by the name of David. And David loved God with all his heart, and David wanted to build a house for God, a a worship center, a temple where God's people could gather together and lift their praise to him. Now, the interesting thing about this temple is that when it finally gets built, And David doesn't build it. David collects the materials, but it's his son who builds the temple. When it gets built, they have this huge dedication ceremony. And Solomon, David's son, leads in prayer. He's going to dedicate the temple. And here's the interesting thing that we learn about the temple from Solomon's prayer. He lets us know that this temple is not strictly for God's people. 
That, that this temple is for people around the world. See, Solomon prays, and it's a long prayer. It, it continues for two or three pages in your Bible. We're going to look at a, an excerpt from it in just a moment. Solomon prays that people will be drawn to the temple from miles around, from distant places, and when they come, they'll encounter the one true living God. Because that's God's heart. He's got a heart for all the world, not simply for his own people. So let me read the text, beginning at verse 41 of 1 Kings 8. Solomon is praying, and he says, And God is for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name. For they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and they pray toward this temple, then God, hear from heaven your dwelling place. And do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that, listen, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. Friends, God answered Solomon's prayer. People came from vast distances to visit the, the, the temple and when they were there, they met Solomon's God. And according to the Bible, people were drawn to Israel not simply because of this magnificent temple. They were also drawn to Israel because of Israel's ruler, Solomon. He was such a wise king. Because of his relationship with God, God had given him wisdom. If you, you want to get a sampling of his wisdom, go to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. It's all these pithy sayings, most of them written by, by King Solomon, you know, he, he instructs you how to raise good kids and how to control your mouth and how to manage your finances. It's all right there, wise stuff in the book of Proverbs. And he was so wise that people came from miles around because they wanted to tap into his wisdom. Now, why am I telling you all this about the temple and about Solomon? Is this, is this just a, a slice of ancient his, history? Is it just a blast from the past? Now, I'm telling you because there's an application to our lives today. What's the temple of God today? Call it out if you know. Yeah, it's us. See, the temple is no longer a brick-and-mortar building. The temple is the people of God. We're told in the New Testament that when you put your trust in Jesus, when you surrender your life to him, he comes to live on the inside by his spirit. And his goal is to make you more and more like God's son, your savior. And so Christ-like characters, quality, qualities begin to appear in your life. Jesus' generosity, Jesus' grace, Jesus' mercy, his kindness, his patience, his joy. And as these qualities come out of your life, guess what? You become a very attractive person and people want to know what's going on in your life. Where do you get this? And not only that, as a follower of Jesus, you begin to read God's book. You, you make a study of it, and you begin to apply it to your life, and you start becoming a wise person in your marriage and in your business life and in every area of your life. And people want to know, where do you get this wisdom from? You, you become a spiritual magnet. It's the temple attraction today. That's you. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about, because you know, this is... This is one of the ways in which God accomplishes, accomplishes his global mission today. It's by making us attractive people through the indwelling Christ. 
Okay, I'll give you a local example of what I'm talking about and then a global example. Local example, I got a friend named Joe. Uh, Joe runs his own business. His business has been very successful. In fact, it's won all sorts of awards and it's attracted a lot of notoriety. So people come to go to school on Joe's business. And you know what Joe tells them? When they ask, so what's your secret? How come you're so successful? Joe says, I've done business by the book. And then he explains he's talking about God's book. That's how he runs his business. Joe's accomplishing the global mission through his business. He's attracting people to his God. I'll give you a global example of what I'm talking about. Uh, We work in six different countries around the world as a church in Southeast Asia, the country where we work, a country which some of you have visited on a go team trip. We, We support a network of new churches. Thousands of churches have been started by church planting pastors, Asian pastors whom we support. Well, just recently, one of these guys had entered a new village. He's just, just going to get started working there, and he runs into a rickshaw driver, begins a conversation, and during the course of the conversation, the rickshaw driver confesses to the guy that he's having a hard time in his personal life. Because he doesn't make much of a living, he's poor, he can't afford the necessary mosquito netting that most people want to sleep under at night in this part of the world. Because if you don't, you end up doing what he has to do. Every night he loses sleep while he's batting the mosquitoes off of his three children. You know, and When he's not doing that, because he knows these mosquitoes carry deadly malaria, he's trying to smoke them out. And he says, unfortunately, while smoking drives mosquitoes away, it's caused the deterioration of his kid's health. Well, the next day, our, our pastor, our pastor, comes back and he says, i got a gift for you. And he hands him mosquito netting. And it just blows this guy away. He's like, why would you, you don't even know me, why would you give me this gift? And he said, well, it's not actually from me, it's from Isa, which is the name of, of Jesus, Muslim tongue. This guy is, he's humbled and he surrenders his life to Christ. This opens the door and his family comes to know Christ. And this guy is still a rickshaw driver, but now he's also become one of our church planting pastors. His church is running 150 people whom he has introduced to Isa, to Jesus. God's global mission is advanced when we live lives that are attractive. When the character of Christ shows up in us. When when we study and we apply the Bible's teaching, this is the temple attraction. Fourth stage of the Bible story. I call this stage the post-exile prophecies. And I want you to move ahead in the Bible again to Isaiah. So keep moving to the right, okay? Go way past Psalms. You'll finally come to Isaiah. It's a big book. I think you'll, you'll find it. Isaiah chapter 49. And I'm going to have to be even briefer here with the last three stages of the story or the sermon's never going to end. So Solomon has now passed from the scene. And after he passes from the scene, ancient Israel goes from good to bad to absolutely horrible. And let me tell you what the root of the problem was. See, Israel had had this special relationship with God, but they forgot why. Listen, they forgot why God had attached himself to them. 
They'd forgotten that it wasn't strictly for their own benefit. They'd forgotten that God has a heart as big as the world. They'd forgotten that God blesses his people. Why? So that they could be a blessing to all peoples. They'd forgotten that God delivers people from their bondage. Why? So that the story of their deliverance can travel to the ends of the earth and other people can be delivered. They'd forgotten that God had given them a beautiful temple so that they could be an attraction and people from around the world would come to meet their God. They'd forgotten all this. They were refusing to participate in God's global mission. And they started treating their relationship with God as if it was all about them. They smugly savored their privileged status. They they adopted an entitlement mentality. They even started engaging in all sorts of sins. Sexual immorality. Indifference to the poor. Putting other things in their lives before God, which the Bible calls idolatry. Because they, they were convinced that God would put up with their misbehavior. Because like we're God's peeps. He loves us. Well, after several hundred years of this sort of indifference and rebellion, God finally decided that he had had enough, and God allowed enemy superpowers to come in and destroy Israel and take many of their people into captivity, into exile. And as all this was going down, as Israel was going from good to bad to horrible, God was sending them prophet after prophet after prophet, spokesmen with names like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Amos and Habakkuk who wrote Old Testament books. And these prophets came with a two-pronged message. The first prong was, guys, we got to turn from our sin. we got to return to God. we got to return to the global mission that God has given us. And if we don't do that, punishment is coming down the pike. And we're going to end up in exile. We're going to end up in captivity. We're going to end up in a foreign place. And the second prong of their message was much more hopeful. The prophets said, and even if this happens, if we end up in exile, one day after exile, post-exile, God's going to send us a Savior. This Savior is going to free us from our bent towards sin. He's going to free us from the punishment we deserve. And even though we have forgotten the global mission, this Savior who comes, and this was the startling part of the prophet's message, this Savior who comes is going to have a heart as big as the world. I want to read to you one of those prophecies. This one comes through Isaiah. This is written 700 years before Jesus comes into the world. It's a prophecy, God's giving instructions to the Savior that he's going to send into the world seven centuries later. Here's what God says. God says in verse 6, speaking to the Savior, whom we know to be Jesus, his son, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. He begins by saying, hey, you know, it's too small a deal that I, I send you strictly to save my people Israel. So who who is he going to save? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, all non-Jewish peoples around the world, that my salvation may reach where? To the ends of the earth. 
This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel. And he's speaking to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation to the servant of rulers. He's speaking to Jesus. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who's chosen you. You know, it's interesting to note that ancient Israel was extremely surprised to hear that their coming Savior, their Savior, would be for everybody. Now look again at the middle of verse 6. He'd be a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Israel had been treating their relationship with God as as if it was just for them. Well, surprise, God has a heart as big as the world. I wonder, do we make the same mistake today? Do, do we treat Jesus as if he's kind of for, he's for us? Is, is Christianity just a Western religion? At times, as you watch the news, you'll get the idea that's what we're being told. Now, it's true that although Christianity started in the Middle East, it quickly traveled west and it died out in the east. So much so that by the year 1900, 100 and some years ago, 90% of Christ followers around the world were located in the West and the North, in Europe and North America, 90% of Christ followers. But let me tell you what's happened in the last 100 years. There's been a movement. And today, you know, 100 and some years later, today, 75% of all Christ followers can be found in the East and the South. They could be found in Latin America, in Africa, in parts of Asia. Why? Because God's on a global mission. Because he's got a global savior who's for the world. And that brings us to the fifth stage of the story. We're now ready to enter the New Testament. The first book of the New Testament. Turn with me to Matthew. The very last chapter of Matthew's gospel, the story of Jesus. Matthew 28. Jesus Christ, God's eternal son, was born in Bethlehem. He became one of us. And the reason he became one of us, according to the Bible, is so that he could serve as our representative. Say, representative for what? Well, our sins deserve eternal death. We have unplugged from God, the giver of life. The penalty is spiritual, physical, and eternal death. And Jesus took our punishment upon himself at the cross. He died the death we deserve to die. And then Jesus rose from the dead. This is all in the gospel of Matthew. We're in the last chapter of this gospel. Jesus is the resurrected, all-powerful king of kings. Anybody who wants a relationship with Jesus must surrender to him, not only as savior, but as king. So if you want to come to Jesus, if you've never come to Jesus and you want to do it today, it means getting off the throne of your life, not only confessing him as your savior, but saying, okay, you're the boss, you're the king. Well, after Jesus' resurrection and just before he returned to heaven to take up his kingly throne, he gave his followers some last words of instruction. And that's what we find in Matthew 28. Bible scholars refer to it as the Great Commission. This, by the way, the passage I'm about to read to you is the mission statement of Christ Community Church. This is why we exist as a church. It's right here in Jesus' final words of instruction to his followers. Verse 18, 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, your Savior, your King, your Commander-in-Chief wants you to participate in God's global mission. He wants you to be part of a team that's making disciples of all nations, all nations. Now, now it's true that mission begins at home. That, that mission for you begins right where you live. It begins with your immediate family. It begins with your best friends. It begins with your neighbors and the people you go to work with or go to school with. It begins with the taxi driver whom you have a 10-minute conversation with as you're traveling to your destination. It begins with the person you drop off your dry cleaning with. You use every opportunity you can to bring Jesus into the conversation. And if you're wondering, how in the world do you do that? Well, we're going to be talking about that in the last week of the series next weekend. But i got to tell you, we also got a special four-hour class called Everyday Evangelism. And it's being offered on Saturday mornings at different campuses. You'll have to go online to check out when it's happening at your campus, 8 o'clock to noon on one Saturday. It's a training that will change your life. In fact, right now, the ministry staff, the entire ministry staff of Christ Community Church is going through this training. We're breaking it out into four one-hour sessions. So, so this is where it begins. But according to the Great Commission, it doesn't end there. Because Jesus, our commander-in-chief, has said, make disciples of all nations, not just your buds. All nations. Now, you say, well, how do I, how do, I do this all nations thing? I live in St. Charles, Bartlett, Blackberry Creek, DeKalb. Well, this is where we help you out as a church. We've got these six partnerships in places like Bangladesh and Sierra Leone and Czech Republic and Brazil, Nicaragua, and Haiti. And the, the first thing you need to do, if you want to be part of this disciple-making mission of all nations, you, ne you need to learn about our partners. And so my challenge to you is go online and read up more and, and then begin to pray for these partners. Now, we got six, so maybe you choose a different partner every day of the week and you just keep cycling through. Or maybe you choose one of these partners you know, to, to, to really hone in on. You choose Nicaragua or Brazil, wherever. And you begin to pray your heart out. But again, it can't stop with praying because the Great Commission is not pray that all nations might be discipled in Jesus' name. The Great Commission is what? It's go and make disciples. You say, well, how am I going to do that? Well, let me remind you of what go teams are all about. See, for the past several years, every year, we send somewhere between 300 and 400 Christ Community Church attenders to work with our partners. We send them on teams, and they're gone for 10, 12 days, and they're working alongside of people in Bangladesh or Brazil or Nicaragua or wherever. As we close today's service, let me give you a foretaste of what we're going to do. When we close today's service, I'm going to challenge you to consider going on a go team at least once 
in the next two or three years. In fact, here's, I'm going to just show my hand right up front here. When we close in a song, a worship song today across four campuses, I'm going to ask those of you to whom God is speaking, God's singing, yeah, you, go make disciples of whole nations to do something really risky, to take a faith step, to leave the seat where you are and come to the front of the auditorium where you're worshiping as a sign that I will go on a go team at least once in the next two or three years. And hundreds of people are you going to you're going to do this. I know you're going to do this because we've been praying for God's movement. And we saw it last night at our services. And our missions pastor, Eric Hansen, has been praying and fasting so you don't have a chance. <laughs> God's moving in your heart. As we've been studying God's book, God's Spirit's been speaking to you saying, yeah, yeah, I'm far too focused on my own little ring of acquaintances. I need, I need to go global. Some of you are saying, yeah, go team. You know, I don't think so. I can't afford to go on a go team. Well, we actually help you raise the money. Say, but I've never been out of the country before. Yeah, there's a first time for everything. But I can't get the time off from work. Use your vacation days. Other people do. Business owners leave their businesses in the hands of somebody else so they could go. But we have young children. We, we can't both go at once. Well, you go this year, your spouse goes next year. You know, but, but I don't have any special abilities to contribute. Oh, we got jobs for everybody. But there's too much going on in my life right now. Yeah, same as everybody. In fact, let me tell you about my friend Linda. Uh, Linda's one of my heroes. Linda, Linda was widowed at a relatively early age. She's a school teacher. She's a cancer survivor. She's one tough lady. And she's been on a variety of go team trips. This past summer, she was due to go on a trip to Nicaragua with our team. A couple of days before the trip took off, her granddaughter, little Olivia, had a grand mal seizure. She couldn't breathe. They called in paramedics, whisked her off to the hospital. By God's grace, the doctors got things under control and so Linda said, I'm still in. She got on the plane, went to Nicaragua. She had gone there to teach, as a school teacher, to teach Nicaraguan school teachers how to teach better and to share the love of Jesus, incidentally. And in the, the midst of the trip, she got word back home. Olivia was back in the hospital. She'd had 22 seizures in 30 minutes. Linda made a really tough decision. She decided to stay an extra day to finish the mission she'd come to do. And she shared it with the people, asking for their prayers. And the Nicaraguans were amazed at her vulnerability. They don't see Americans that way. They were amazed that she would care so much for them. And she continued to teach them with a broken heart and praying in the back of her mind for little Olivia back home. And then when she was done, she jumped on the plane and she arrived at O'Hare with the good news that Olivia had had an operation and things had been successful and she was home. She was doing okay. And, and, and I tell you that story because if anybody had good reason to say, sorry, I can't go, not the right time, 
If anybody could have said no to God's global mission, no to the Great Commission, I'll just I'll be a really good witness right here at home, it was Linda. But Linda said yes. And in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to say yes if God's Spirit's prompting you. Now, there's one final stage i got to touch on real quickly in this Bible storyline or we won't have finished it. So go to the very last book of your Bible. We've made it to the right cover. Okay, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5. I call this the new heaven and earth celebration. The new heaven and earth celebration. This is the final stage of God's global mission. I hate to cheat it of the time it deserves, but my, my message has gone too long already, so we got to wrap it up quickly. You know, Clayton referred to this last weekend, and I thought, dude, you hardly touched on it. This is so good. Come on. So here I am at the end of my sermon doing the same thing. Is racing through it. So I encourage you to go home, park on it, read it a few times. This is a description of a huge celebration. This is the party to end all parties that's going to take place during eternity in a new heaven and earth that God creates. And if you're a Christ follower, this is your future. This is it. So let me read it beginning at verse 9. There's a throng in heaven, and they sang a new song, saying, You, speaking to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. The scroll is God's plan for the new heaven and new earth. But up to this point, nobody's been worthy to open it, set things in motion. But Jesus is worthy to open its seals because, why is he worthy? Because you were slain. You went to the cross. With your blood, you purchased for God people from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they're going to reign on earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. This is a pretty big worship band, all right? They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And they're playing instruments, they're banging drums, and they're making a lot of noise and praise of King Jesus. <laughs> a number of years ago, my family and I were vacationing in New York State, and when the weekend came, we decided to attend a church in the city traveled to Manhattan. We went right down to Times Square. There is this uh, mega church, this vital, healthy, vibrant mega church called Times Square Church. And we walked in, huge auditorium, every seat filled. And we looked around and I'd never seen such a cosmopolitan audience in my life. It was obvious being New York City, there were people from every nation. You could tell by the color of their skin, by the look on their face, by their dress. and You could also tell that they had come from every strata of economic life. You saw people in rags you assumed were just off the streets. You saw people in expensive suits who you assumed were Wall Street brokers. And we were all there together. And we came to the end of the service and we sang one last worship song and we were instructed to join hands. And thousands upon thousands of people were standing there holding hands. And I remember looking around and saying, this has got to be like a taste of heaven. This has got to be what it's going to be like. But I tell you, it was only a taste. It was only a taste. This is the global mission of God. 
And he gives us the privilege of partnering with him. We get to call out people from every tribe, language, people, nation. Come follow Jesus. Give your lives to the Savior and King.